0: Salt Company, how we doing? Oh, man. Hey. (laughs) Wow. Those guys, that's crazy. Uh, Hey, thanks for coming to the Salt Company kickoff. Hey, I'm curious who's here tonight. Um, If you've been to Salt Company before, let me hear you. All right. All right. And if you're new here, this is your first time at Salt Company, let me hear you. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. All right. Well, welcome. My name is Joe Neelis. I'm the Salt Company director of the greatest salt company at the greatest college in the nation. D-Mac go Bears, yeah. baby. Let's go. Don't you forget it. Don't you forget it. Welcome to college, my friends. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> y'all have been in college. Maybe if you're a freshman, this, you know, y'all started classes about a week ago, I think. Right. A couple of days ago, you had your first day of class um, and, uh, man, you, you had your outfit picked out for months, you laid it on, on your bed, you were ready to go, you took a picture of your first day of school, sent it to mom, right, mom, I'm doing all right, I'm going to classes, everything's going great, right, first day of school. Um, and on the first day of school, too, there's a lot of things that you could be really eager to find, right, um, like your classes, okay, so you get your schedule out, right, you want to make sure that you're on time, you don't want to walk into the wrong classroom, Um, one time guys, Callie, who just did announcements, she's got this story where she walked into the wrong room in college, uh, for a meeting she didn't know existed, and at the end of the meeting she ended up becoming the class president of, uh, of a club she didn't even know existed, so that tells you a lot about Callie, uh, but you don't want that to happen, right, uh, yeah, give it up for Callie, um, but yeah, y'all get what I'm saying, um, The other things that you're eager to find, you're eager to find, man, who who are my people going to be, right? Maybe you came into this room and you're like, man, I'm about to find my best friend in this room, right? Or maybe you moved into your apartment and you're like, I think I sort of know these people. Are these going to be my people? Like, is this going to be my crew, right? You're eager to find your people. Or some of you, y'all came in this room looking for a spouse, okay? I know it's true. Some of y'all came in here, right? You already got your eyes on somebody, ring by spring, right? You're trying to get married. Man, I know, I know. I know that's how it works. I know that's how it works. Man, some of y'all already know. (laughs) Um, But those are things that you're eager to find, right? Eager to find when you're in college, right? Classes, friends, right? Maybe spouse, whatever, right? You're eager to find those things. There are some things that no matter how hard you try to find it, you can't find it, right? Uh, A couple days ago, I went to Building 5 to go meet with a student, and it took me like 10 years to find a parking spot, right? Took forever. least for the first week, right? Like after the first week, people just don't go to class anymore. Is that true? Yeah, it's pretty true. Uh, But things like that, man, there are a lot of things that if you're trying to find it, right, you you can't quite find it. And I mean, I can give a lot of examples, but even on a more serious note, there are things quite like um, the desire, perhaps, when you're in college to feel seen or to feel loved or to feel valued while you're in college and you're looking for it. And it seems that the next party, the next relationship, the next experience, it's not working. And you wonder, man, is there something more? Maybe you're in this room and you're like, man, I haven't gone to church really in years, or maybe in my whole life. Like, I don't know how I even got myself in this room. And you're here because maybe the question you're asking is, you're like, is there something more in this life? Like, is there something more in this life than getting a college degree? You know, getting the house with, you know, a wife, two kids, and a dog, right? And the white picket fence and all that. Like, is there something more out there, right? And maybe that's the question you're asking. Is there something more, and why do I start there? Because what I want to do tonight is I just want to answer one question. What is Salt Company? Like, why are we here? Like, why were we chasing a Sasquatch around the city of Ankeny? Why were we all at DMAC the last few nights? Like, why are we in this room? Like, what is Salt Company? What is this all about? Why are we in this room? And I think the best way for us to answer that question is by looking at a story in the Bible of a woman who met Jesus and in meeting Jesus found everything that she had been looking for her whole life. And so if you have a copy of the Bible with you, I invite you to turn over to the Gospel of John. It's like three-quarters of the way in your Bible. You can flip there. Guys, the Gospel of John is just a biography of the life of Jesus written by one of his closest followers. Um, And before we get going, I just want to say, hey guys, here at Salt Company, we believe that the Bible really is what it says it is, right? That it's God's written word to you and to me to communicate everything that he wants us to know about him and about us, 66 books, all telling one story, and that one story leading to Jesus, the hope of the world. And so every single Thursday, we're going to spend the bulk of our time together looking at what God's Word has to say to us right here, right now, today, right? So that's what we want to do. Um, And before we look at John 4, I want to set up the context a little bit, right? It's helpful. There's four chapters before we look into this passage, and so it's helpful to look at the context. Here's what's been going on up to this point. Uh, At this point in the story, the author is sharing kind of all these stories of Jesus performing miracles and telling other people who he is, what he's all about, what he came on earth to do. And in our passage, we're about to read Jesus. He's on a journey to a region of Israel called Galilee. And on his way there, he makes his way through a city in Samaria. And man, it's hot out. And you can imagine after a long day of walking that Jesus has been doing, he's thirsty. And so what does he do? In Samaria, he finds a well. He finds a well where you can go get some water. And at this well, he finds a woman. And this woman's going to find everything that she's ever been looking for in Jesus. And so if you're taking notes with me, point number one is fresh water. It'll make sense in a minute, all right, people? Uh, if you're taking notes, that's the first point. Um, Look at me starting in verse 6 of chapter 4. It says this, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone out into town to buy food. Well, how is it that you, a, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. See, during this time, Jews despised Samaritans. They believed that Samaritans were unclean, like they, that they weren't deserving of a relationship with God, and so they would never even cross paths with, with Samaritans, right? And so, rightly so, this woman is looking at Jesus, right? She's like, why, why would this Jew want anything to do with me? It's almost like, is this a joke? Like, you want me to get you water? Like, this is not how this works. Like, you're not even supposed to be anywhere near me, right? Like, this is, this is crazy, and so she's blown away, um, but what she's going to find out is that Jesus is less concerned with getting a drink of water and more concerned with providing one for her. Listen to how Jesus responds in verse 10. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. So Jesus is saying to her, Hey, listen, uh, if you knew what I could give you, uh, if you knew that I could give you what your soul has been thirsting for this whole time, the rules would switch. I wouldn't be asking you for water. You'd be asking me for water. And not just physical water. I'm talking living water. Water that your soul thirsts for, but she doesn't hear that. She's like, living water? What is that? Like, What are you talking about? Where can I get this? And the, so her eyes kind of shift from Jesus to the well, and then back to Jesus as she notices that he doesn't have a bucket. So she's confused. Look at me, verse uh, 11, she says this. She says, sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? She's confused. Like physical water, right? Like Jesus, she looks, he looks at her, and he says, and he clarifies, he says, hey, listen, verse 13. Hey, everyone who drinks from this water, he's kind of pointing at that well. He's like, man, if, if you drink from this water, you're going to get thirsty again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. So Jesus, he's using a metaphor here. And he's saying that there's a thirst in you that, there's, that no amount of water can satisfy. And it's actually a thirst for God's presence and only I can fill it is what he's saying. It's the thirst that all of us have deep inside our souls, right? This thirst for satisfaction, this thirst for more joy, more affirmation, more love, more pleasure, more happiness, more personal worth and value, more meaning. And Jesus says that this thirst of hers and this thirst of ours can be quenched by what he calls living water type of metaphorical water that when you drink it, you'll never thirst again. In other words, it's the it's the kind of water that is supposed to satisfy your soul, that you were created to be satisfied Bible. What does this mean, right? Like, what is this symbolizing? Like, Jesus, just tell us, like, what living water, why don't you just tell us what that is? And in another place, in the Gospel of John, you don't have to flip there, but in chapter 7, verse 38, he explains what that means. He says this about this living water. Verse 38, he says, The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Verse 39, and this is key. He said this about the Spirit. So he's saying, Your soul's thirst for more is actually a thirst for eternal life. And it's a thirst for God, whether you knew it or not. And this thirst can only be satisfied by being filled with the Holy Spirit, God's personal presence. In your heart. This is the living water that Jesus offers. But listen to how how she responds to Jesus' offer of living water. Verse 15, look down with me. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Right? So, from her point of view, she's still thinking that Jesus is talking about physical water, right? And if I'm her, I'm thinking the same thing. It's hot outside, right? I'm thirsty, and this guy is telling me that if I can drink of this water that he's going to give me, like I'll never drink, I'll never be thirsty again. That sounds good, right? So naturally, she's she's leaning in. She's like, "Okay, well, give me this water that you're talking about." But what Jesus is about to help her see is that she isn't simply thirsty for physical water. She's thirsty for living water—the very presence of God in her life. And the way that He shows her this is by bringing up something a little odd. Look with me in verse sixteen. Jesus he looks at her, and he says, "Go call your husband." He told her, "And come back here." Well, I don't have a husband," she answered. "Well, you've correctly said I don't have a husband," Jesus said. "For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. You're taking notes. Point number two is this: Empty wells. Empty wells." So what's going on here, right? Like, it. Why would Jesus say that to her? Like, even if he didn't know her story, which he clearly did, right? Even if he didn't know her story, wouldn't he? he, Wouldn't he have noticed the shame that she was carrying in that moment, just to not even bring it up, right? Like, I don't know if you guys noticed in the passage previous, but it describes that she came to the well in the middle of the day by herself, and you're like, man, why does that matter? It matters because it's just not what you did back then. If you would go to grab water from the well, you would go with your friends in the evening because it was cooler outside, right? So why is she alone? She's alone because she had no friends left. She went at that time because she didn't want to be seen. She knew that if people saw her, they'd probably start shouting names at her, calling her things, shaming her. She didn't want to be seen. She made a mess of her life. And Jesus presses in to that very story. Why? Because Jesus knows that her shame actually reveals her soul's thirst for God, for living water, even though she may not have even known it. See, her story is that just like you and me, she has this thirst in her soul she can't seem to satisfy, this ache within her to mean something in this world, to feel like she's worth something, to feel unconditional love, and she would try to satisfy this by going from relationship to relationship, husband to husband, trying to satisfy this inner thirst in her soul, and guys, she couldn't stand the shame that it would bring her, but she would do it for one reason, At the cost of her reputation and perhaps her own safety, she pursued these relationships because they made her feel seen, loved, and secure, almost as though for just a moment that thirst that's been in her soul forever is quenched for even just a little bit. She kept going back to this thing that would bring her so much shame, and the thing was is it was never enough for her, so she would go from relationship to relationship, heartbreak after heartbreak. So by bringing up her story, Jesus shows Her that this cycle she's in never delivers on its promises. It never satisfies her soul like she thinks it will. And I wonder if that story sounds familiar to you. And if not now, it will soon, because this is not just her story. This is my story, and it's yours. See, we try to quench this thirst within our souls with things that will never satisfy, we end up doing things that fill us with shame. And maybe you're here, and you're like, man, that's not me. I'm fine. Like, life has been going well recently. Like, my life's not falling apart, (laughs) right? You see, this woman, perhaps like you, wasn't aware of her soul's thirst until Jesus showed up. Like, for her, it was just a normal day going out to the well to grab water. Like, she wasn't aware of this thirst in her soul. She kept going from relationship to relationship because that's just how she functioned. Like, that's just normal life. She wasn't aware of this in her soul. She simply came for water until Jesus showed up. And so whether you're here and you're bogged down by shame or life has been good to you lately, the story of all of us is the same. We all share the same story. We all try to satisfy our thirst for God with things that will never satisfy us. And the Bible refers to this experience that all of us have as like trying to find water in like a broken well in this Old Testament book in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 it describes this experience that all of us have had and he describes it this way it says God says for my people have committed a double evil they have abandoned me the fountain of living water and instead they've dug cisterns for themselves cracked or in other words shattered cisterns that can't hold any water they're turning from me to these to these wells that don't carry any water whatsoever there's nothing There. See, where there should be water is what it's describing here. Where there should be water, we're running to wells that have nothing but dirt. It's dry every single time. So here's what God is saying about all of us. We all turn from him from the only fountain of living water. We take our thirst for God and we try to satisfy it anywhere else. Some of us, like the Samaritan woman, we go to the wells of relationships, right? Um, man, uh, again, maybe, maybe you came to this room and you're like, man, like, you talked about the whole spouse thing? That's funny, but like, kind of, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> but, man, you're, you're looking for a relationship, and man, if we're to be honest, man, it, especially when I was a freshman in college, man, when I walked onto campus, I was like, any girl who's nice to me might be my wife. That's crazy. Uh, (laughs) and so, but man, how often though, how often, and there's nothing wrong with looking for a partner in life. That's great, Uh, but if we're honest, what we're often looking for is more than a partner. What we're looking for is the kind of deep affirmation and approval that only God can give us. We're looking to empty wells to give us living water, and we come up dry every single time, so others of us, we might go to the wells of academic or career successes, right, or achievement. So, man, the dawn of the school year, man, you're anxious. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of new things, but the dawn of the school year makes you anxious because it's not just an education for you. It's not just a report card. It's not just a diploma. It's your sense of self-worth. It's your sense of self-worth. You can't afford to not do well in these classes because that's who you, you're the smart kid, like you're the one who achieves, right? And so you come to this well to satisfy your thirst for the validation that only God can give. Your soul thirst to just hear somebody say, man, hey, you're enough. Well done. Good job. You've done You've done enough. Which means you're on top of the world when you get an A-plus on, on that test, or when you get that job promotion, man, you're on top of the world. But when you don't have it, it crushes you. And you're at a low point because this is more than your education. Man, this is your self-worth. This is everything. This is your identity. You see, even in those moments when you're celebrating those achievements, I mean, that's a good thing to celebrate the things that you've done. But when you've celebrated those achievements, I think we've all been there, right? Um, There's this sense, this, this looming sense of fear that hovers over you like a dark cloud. And the questions in your mind become man, how long am I going to be able to keep this up? Like, how long are they going to be able to to, to trust that I can do what they think that I can do, that that I'm that guy or that I'm that girl, that I can actually do these things? And you have this sense within yourself, man, I'm a fraud. Because perhaps you're looking for the kind of value and worth that only God can give you. Or maybe you go to the wells of experiences, chasing the next high or the next party or the next drink, and you're looking for what only God can give you to satisfy your soul, to make sense of any kind of meaning when you're in college. You're looking to empty wells to give you living water what only God can. The one that Jeremiah literally names, God's name in that passage, is the fountain of living water. Um, my story is similar. Um, I think the fountains that I can run to, the wells that I can run to, or the wells of approval or success, right? I can often think that I'm only as good as my last conversation with a student or my last um, sermon or my last you name it. It's, I always think that, man, if, if I can just achieve all of this, like I, I, am, I am the sum total of my production. And that's really great when I feel like I've done a good job, but man, it crushes me when I don't. And there's a time in my life when I would struggled with pornography for a long time, and I was running to the wells of lust, and trying to drink, and trying to find uh, pleasure and satisfaction in things that could never do it. Or in other times, I'll find myself drinking from the wells of, of influence and approval. Man, if I could get this person to like me, this person of prominence, to, uh, if I can be in that room with that person, man, everybody would think I'm so cool, and if I can get your approval, and if I don't have it, it kills me inside. I run to wells that will never satisfy And so like this woman at the well, all of us are trying to drink from wells that have nothing in them. We all do it when what we really need is living water, God's presence in your life, this thirst that's inside of you. But where can we find this living water, right? Point number three, if you're taking notes, is a fountain overflowing. Uh, so in the next few verses, it looks like we're going to take a detour, right? They're in the middle of talking about living water. Things are going really well. Um, and then the Samaritan woman, she kind of asked this random question. feels random. She asked the question about, um, man, the location of worship for Samaritans and for Jews, right? Like, who's got it right? She's asking Jesus this question. I think she's trying to test him, and it feels really random, right? Like, we're, we were just talking about living water. Like, what's going on here? Um, But the answer to her question about the location of worship tells us where we can find what our hearts so long for. Because Jesus, he answers the question, he looks at her and he says, listen, it doesn't matter where you worship because a day is coming when anyone can worship anywhere because when the living water of God's spirit is poured out, God's presence will be wherever his people are. So at this point, Jesus looks at this woman and says, hey, in the future, There will be a time when the living water that you are so thirsty for, the living water that your heart craves, will be made available to you. There's a time coming, Jesus says. But when's that time? I think we get a hint in two verses, verses 21 and 23. Jesus says that an hour is coming. He uses that weird phrase, an hour is coming. Like, what are you talking about? And in the Gospel of John, scholars have long noted that whenever John uses that phrase, an hour is coming, it always refers to one event. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so what does that mean? At the cross is where a living water, the living water that our souls thirst for, is dispensed for everyone to drink. And so here's what that means. At the cross... <laughs> That is our only hope for us to find living water. So the question is, how can the woman at the well, how can me and you, how can we drink of the living water our souls so desperately thirst for by believing this, that Jesus died on the cross for you? And Man, you've probably heard that before, right? You, you've maybe seen signs or you, you know, you've been to church before. You've heard that story. But it's that one truth believing that Jesus died on the cross for you, because you see, me and you, we were created to be satisfied with God's eternal presence, and that's literally why you were created, right? If you look at the page one of the Bible, Genesis 1, me, you, and the rest of humanity were created for this one purpose, to live with and to love God, to enjoy His presence. We were meant to be satisfied by His presence, but instead of drinking of the living water of His presence, we turn from him to drink from broken, empty wells that carry nothing. The wells of success, the wells of relationships, the wells of lust, the wells of experience. All of these things that we turn to that come up dry every single time we all do it. And it's this rejection of God, the fountain of living water, that created the debt against God that none of us could ever repay. Romans 6.23, it says this. It says that the wages of sin, the wages of our rebellion... Is death. And God could have left us to die. But the scandal of the Bible, the good news of the Bible, is that he didn't. He didn't leave us to die. Though we turned to drink from other wells, in his love he made a way to bring us back. You see, he took our punishment on the cross, and by doing so, he opened up the floodgates of living water of the presence of God for anyone to come and drink and be satisfied. And you receive the living waters of God's presence by believing that Jesus died on the cross, and he did that for you. See, living water doesn't just satisfy your soul, but it washes away your sin and your shame. See, something that no amount of good deeds, no amount of Bible reading, no amount of church attendance could ever do for you. Because, you see, the wells of this world will never satisfy you. College student, the wells of this world will not satisfy you. Man, you're in college. You got new new things everywhere, new temptations, right? Maybe new freedoms. And you have tons of choices to make every single day. And I am telling you, Friend. nothing will satisfy like Jesus. History will tell you. Many stories in this room will tell you nothing will satisfy like Jesus. Man, um, the wells of this world will never satisfy. Only Jesus can. We can't save ourselves from our sin and our shame. Only Jesus can. And that's the message that we're all about at Salt Company, and that's who we are. Many of us in this room are like the woman at the well. We've tried the wells of this world, and we found that they're all dry. They're empty. It doesn't satisfy. They don't deliver on their promises, but when we met Jesus, everything changed. We found what we've been looking for our whole lives. But what about you? The offer of living water is given to you tonight to have God's presence, personal presence in your heart, living water that satisfies, that's offered to you tonight. And so as you start the beginning of some of the most formative years of your life, it's almost as though Jesus comes to you. He says, listen, those things aren't going to satisfy you. That experience, that party, that drink, the next high, that relationship, success, money, the things that you're going to be tempted to chase after when you're in college. He looks at you and says, listen, those things aren't going to satisfy like you think they are. Save yourself the hurt. Save yourself the pain. Friend, nothing will satisfy like Jesus can. So maybe your next step is to maybe for the first time to place your faith in Jesus, right? Uh, And his death on the cross for you to receive his presence in your heart to become his own. Or maybe it's just to think about everything that's been talked about. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I'm ready to place my faith in Jesus, but man, I want to think about it. Maybe your next step is just to commit to coming every week and to learn more about Jesus. Or maybe there's some of you in the room who are like, man, I, I follow Jesus Man, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, but man, I can find myself being tempted to run to empty wells that will never satisfy me. So your next step is to sign up for a Salt Company Connection Group, right? Where you're gonna be with other believers who every single week are gonna gather together to talk about the sermon, to talk about Jesus, to, to talk about real life, right? And to point each other back again and again and again to the fountain of living water every week. And so, as you start college, I want you guys to hear this. To the one chasing experiences and toxic relationships, stuck in those relationships, friend, they're never going to satisfy. To the one stressing about good grades and burning yourself out at your job, they're never going to satisfy like Jesus can. And to the one looking for the next party, the next drink, next hookup, you were made for more. You are made for Jesus. Don't settle for anything less. You were made for Jesus. Only he can satisfy, so come to him. And find what your soul has been searching for all along. So let me pray for us, and then we'll sing again. Jesus, only you satisfy. God, I pray for those who are in the room who... um, man, they feel far from you for various reasons. Um, God, they're drinking from wells that will never satisfy relationships, success, all those things that promise to satisfy, and they won't. And so, God, I pray that tonight, that Jesus, even for the very first time, that they would come to you, that they would say, Jesus, I need you. I trust, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my rebellion from turning away from you. God, you alone will satisfy my heart, and so God, I just pray that that would be true, that uh, man, commitments would be made to follow you, Jesus, and God, I pray for those who are in the room who have been following you for a while. God, I just pray that um, tonight that they would just be reminded that you alone satisfy, that as they start college, that they would say, man, I want to be committed to a place. I want to be committed to a community that's going to help me follow Jesus, and so God, tonight be glorified in our worship. Jesus, only you satisfy. We pray this in your name. Amen.